Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. So we have four pillars, right? Clinical care, advocacy, education, research. And that's all really buttressed by our community, supported by our community as a main foundation. And that's intentional. Today, Dallas Dukar, Chief Executive Officer of TransHealth, rejoins the podcast to discuss gender-affirming care in this second and final episode of this two-part edition of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. I'm your host, Senior Vice President and Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, and rejoining me on the podcast is Dallas Dukar. Ms. Dukar is a clinical nurse lead and an AANC certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and chief executive officer of TransHealth here in Massachusetts. Please rejoin us as we continue our conversation. We, we, you know, it's, it's sad because medicine hasn't learned its lesson amongst marginalized populations at all. I know from when I was in my training, uh, a lot of African-American patients didn't trust the healthcare system because of the Tuskegee Project and so forth. And we're slow to enroll and still to this day don't enroll in clinical trials, which I understand why <laughs> they, you know, the healthcare yeah. system marginalized them. Yes. And that's my next question about representation in, in clinical trials and, and research. Do you think that there are areas where, you know, that could be helpful and are, are you working or do you know of folks who are working to sort of make the, in the relevant clinical trials incorporate those folks in that population? Yes, yes. And one thing that we at TransHealth are doing, so we have four pillars, right? Clinical care, advocacy, education, research, and that's all really buttressed by our community, supported by our community as a main foundation. And that's intentional, right? Nothing that we do here is done without community. And what that also means is that the research that we conduct here, and we don't do any human subject research at this time, we're only two years old as an organization, but any research that we do is guided by the philosophy, nothing about us without us. And so we have a research advisory board that includes individuals across the country who are trans-identified and are guiding in the ethics of how we want to approach research. And that's really the, the starting point here is to ensure that there are PIs and collaborators and you know research assistants and research collaborators and, and everyone involved in the research process from soup to nuts has some lived experience or is able to uh, know individuals deeply and intimately who've had lived experience as well with the community and that that research is done in a way that is community-based, yes, participatory, yes, but action-oriented. And I will say, I'm seeing more and more research come out of the gender-affirming care space that is action-oriented, that is saying, and we want there to be some benefit that we will be held to for the communities that we are researching with, not researching on. And to me, that is a, a vital piece that's been left out of clinical trials from, you know, just Tuskegee and earlier than that, right? Where you're not actively including the voices of the individuals and empowering them to actually understand the data and to actually have some impact from it. So we are working towards that at TransHealth. There are other organizations too that have been working towards that. And that requires, you know, really fostering trust in the many different intersections 
of the community. Because that's the other thing, right? It's not one trans community. There are intersections and some individuals who may be white and trans may have a very different perspective of research than those who may be black and trans, right? Or Latino and trans. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's an interesting, and we've been doing a lot of DE&I discussion on the podcast over the, the time that I've been doing it. And one of the things that we've sort of noticed from an academic standpoint is, you know, and just on a very basis that there are, you know, having female names of primary investigators and then looking at what is the background of the, you know, some of the investigators, some of the key authors. Again, I'm going to talk about my age, but it's not uncommon to see a paper and then you start looking at all the investigators and you're like, oh, there's another old white guy. Oh, there's another old white guy. Oh, there's another old white guy. You know, maybe if we're going to do a paper, everybody, you know, and also the community that is being studied should certainly have, you know, investigators that look like them. We know in clinical practice that that's a big key is that patients feel more comfortable and relaxed if their provider looks like them and knows what they're going through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's accurate. I mean, I would say at TransHealth, we have been very intentional to ensure that we have many, many team members, you know, around 80 to 85% who identify as trans or gender diverse. That's unheard of in other environments, right? And yet one of the very first weeks that we were here at TransHealth, uh, another physician who was on your podcast, Dr. Drew Cronin, he brought a kid into my office because she just wanted to be able to meet a trans female CEO, right? And that was an intervention. Being able to see someone, being able to see yourself in another successful individual, in being able to see yourself in your provider, in the person at the front desk, in the researcher, whoever it is, that carries a huge, you know, that's, that's really meaningful. It, it really, it really helps people to, to deeply understand that they're not alone. And when our, our nation is dealing with a severe loneliness epidemic, it is more important than anything to really deeply be reaching out to people who otherwise have been pushed aside, minoritized, felt like they're alone and remind them that, no, there are other folks in the world that are here with them and for them. And, and my final question to, to wrap this up, because you've been very generous with your time, and, and this has been a great conversation, is that are there efforts underway to sort of better understand where the healthcare system is sort of falling short with not only just, you know, the trans community, but sort of the LGBTQ community in general? And what are we seeing and how can we support that, you know, as just a regular practitioner? Yeah. Well, I think there's there's a bit, right? <laughs> I won't offer a total laundry list here. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say there's, if we group these into different categories, there's your systemic issues, right? And we'll right. start there. You know, more access programs like the Gender Affirming Care Access Program, uh, working to lobby against insurance companies that have robust prior authorization requirements that, you know, we just see across healthcare too, but especially in gender affirming healthcare. Um, you know, also for very unique practices of healthcare like gender affirming care, you know, cost sharing can be a huge barrier to access. And so again, working on that, those systems-based issues and trying to eliminate cost sharing for specific populations um, and really protecting healthcare and protecting providers and creating those pathways. So that's all 
a systems level, right? The, the systems level, though, is only possible if we are also, as clinicians, whether we are nurses, whether we are physicians, whether we're PAs, every professional association in healthcare has clear policies in support of advocacy and activism. And I think we as healthcare providers really need to get comfortable with the fact that we are experts and we can advocate. And it's actually, there's a, a duty to. And so to engage in advocacy, to engage in writing op-eds, to be on at your state house or on Capitol Hill and, and really work together. So that's changing systems to some extent, right? There's also then another category here, and it's changing hearts and minds. And that means having conversations with those we might not always agree with and really coming back to values-based language, talking about how we all may deserve the freedom to choose our own healthcare, the liberty to choose our own pursuit of happiness, being able to break down barriers, right? And recognize as clinicians our own power that we have to be able to really change hearts and minds, not by using facts, but by appealing to emotion in stories. And then when we look at the way that healthcare is actually provided to, a lot of the lessons that we are learning in the gender-affirming care space are just applicable to many other spaces. And that is the fact that a lot of gender-affirming care is provided in primary care and mental health care. That's what we do at TransHealth. And those are areas that are really severely underfunded and are not, there's just not enough time usually to spend with the patient. So looking at innovative programs like TransHealth that can be sustainable and allow for that time and trying to replicate those models, trying to take some of the way in which our providers practice, which have equated to patient satisfaction ratings, where 100% of our patients say trans health is a place where I can be, feel, where 100% of our patients say that trans health is a place where I can be myself. And to take some of those, those models of care, the things like universal precautions, always addressing a person with your right name and pronouns, and then asking for their right name and pronouns, really having non-discrimination policies, using gender-neutral language until you know otherwise, practicing with informed consent and a trauma-informed approach. And if we can make those practice changes, if we can also work with people to engage them in their hearts and minds, and then if we can also work on a systems level, and even just choose one of those lanes, I 100% believe that healthcare will be a better space, not just for trans people, for all of us. This is just good healthcare, and this is what everyone deserves. Absolutely. I mean, I will put it in the perspective of a child, of a, an older adult, and you go into an office for a medical appointment and you realize that they've looked past my parent to me and they're not addressing the patient and you're like, you want to say, hey, any medicine 101, address the patient as the person in the room. So all very, very informative. And I, I could not agree more with you. And my last question, because um, one of the other people on the podcast wrote it to me, so I have to read it. This was actually from the Boston Globe article um, that you were in, as were other folks um, not a long ago. 
Are you seeing folks immigrating to blue states from red states to get the care that they deserve and need? Yes, definitely. We are getting questions from people in other states who are asking if we will see them in their state. Uh, We are also seeing individuals who have migrated across state lines. We are also seeing, I'm, I'm hearing reports of other advocacy organizations where people are literally showing up on the door. Kids. And they're saying, I have nowhere else to go. Right? It is clear that Massachusetts has done a good job in broadcasting itself as a safe space. And there are more and more people who are coming, but now comes the hard part. Once they're here, we have to be ready to provide resources, to provide community connection, to be able to have access, quick access to healthcare and have large coalitions of individuals that are able to get the people the resources they need. And that will require continued advocacy and continued resourcing. There's a lot of resources that are here, um, but there will be a very strong need for a continued coordination of those resources. And yes, that is because I 100% believe that the uptick that we've already seen right now is only going to increase as we head into the general election. And we continue to see gender-affirming care be a, a point of focus and attack from primary presidential contenders in the GOP. Well, I, I hope that our conversation will spark other conversations and we can move the needle forward. I thank you so much for your time. This has been really great. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again, perhaps in the future. Thank you. I, I just, you know, I want to say that not to end on a, a down note, because instead I really do believe that we are creating a new vision of healthcare here, a vision among many others who are empowering who are being inclusive of those voices at the table, who have otherwise been locked out and marginalized. And this this model of gender-affirming care can be a vision of what healthcare can be for anyone. And I believe we are seeing that. I believe we will continue to see that as places like TransHealth Expand and other organizations continue to grow, expand, get set up as well. And we will continue to see that needle of justice pushed forward as we have seen in court battles where we've been winning or in additional pieces of legislation and stand up and say that this is an affirmative moral right that we will protect. So at the end, I believe that the future is clear and it's hopeful. And I'm looking forward to that and also really, really looking forward to all the additional conversations that this conversation has created so that we can continue to move the needle forward. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate it. And that's today's special spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like this, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing, Medical News Roundup, and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Dallas Dukar, and to Norm Dion, Sean Mullen, and Kate Rio for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories, the world of medicine. Hey, 